All right, let's go ahead and get started. I've got a few more ladies coming in. Come on in. Make sure you all have a handout. Did you get a handout? Yeah, make, there, make sure you have a handout and you're signed in. And we'll get rolling. So today is part two of the Lord's Prayer. And, uh, you know, to, so today, take note of this. Maybe I should wait till the rest of the ladies get in here. Um, our schedule, um, we, today is the last day that we meet until after the new year. And so, you know, I talked with Val because, you know, everything's about coordinating, you know, making everything fit just right and uh, coordinating with the other classes and all that stuff. So we will pick up on January 20th. Okay, so that's a little ways away. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss, miss you ladies and teaching the class and being with you on Friday mornings. But um, we'll pick back up on January 20th. So today is the last day for this until January 20th. And if you, you know, there's some ladies that aren't here today. Um, it'll be also in the life together. But if you think about it, if you see somebody, if you see a friend and you think about it, just let them know too. All right, so last Friday we talked about the, I basically gave an introduction to the Lord's Prayer uh, and talked about some of the spiritual dynamics. You know, if you look at the, uh, the handout, the first page, talked about hope being strength, strengthened and then burdens and troubles and you know, dangers of becoming cold from not praying. You know, if you remember, I talked about how, you know, when you, you pray the Lord's Prayer all the time and sometimes you, you know, sinfully, you start to think to yourself, ah, oh, he's heard it before. You know, do I really need to do it again? He knows. But, you know, it's, you know, he likes, the Lord likes to hear our prayers. He wants us to pray. And, when we pray, there's also a lot of good benefits for us because, it, as I talked last week, it redirects our gaze heavenward, you know, into the face of Jesus, looking at the Heavenly Father. And so today, I'd like to talk more uh, specifically about the Lord's Prayer itself. And it, in Matthew's Gospel, it is placed within the framework of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot that can be said about that, uh, a lot that needs to be said, but the Sermon on the Mount is, as I said last week, Christ's first sermon, or his first earthly sermon, and he sits down with the, the disciples, and now he's giving them holy teaching. So, you know, this divine oracles are coming, you know, he opens his mouth and says, and to say he opens his mouth and says is the signal that divine oracles are going to flow forth. Same thing happens like in the book of Acts when Peter starts to preach. It'll say he opened his mouth and said, you know, and you know, if, if you're just kind of a, a linear thinking person, common sense person, you'll be like, of course he opened his mouth and said, you know, of course he opened his mouth. 
But that is a signal that divine speech is starting to flow out. And you see that with Jesus, with the Sermon on the Mount, and with others. Uh, so the Lord's Prayer is put within this. And as I also talked about last week, James 3 talks about taming the tongue. And so, you know, if you think about, you know, James saying the tongue needs to be tamed. If the tongue is not tamed, quick things sputter out. And the quick things that sputter out are usually not good. And so what we see with Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is he is taming our tongues. He's teaching us how to pray. And teaching us how to pray is so important. There's so much in this prayer. And in fact, when you, if you take a look at Matthew chapter six, so in, in Matthew chapter five, that's where the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. Then you get to chapter six. And in verse five, what, what Jesus does, so we're in Acts, or Matthew six, verse five, and what Jesus does is he gives us a little bit of instruction before he gives the Lord's Prayer. So let's read it in verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the streets and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. And then it goes on. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So there's, there's the text right there within the Sermon on the Mount. So, you know, he's teaching us about prayer. And, you know, think about the Old Testament and prayers in the Old Testament. You have the Psalms, and there's a lot in the Psalms. And the Psalms were the prayer book of the, of the temple. And then you also have other prayers throughout. Um, we heard in, uh, we heard in uh, the Tizay service, the, the first reading which I read was from Habakkuk 
which uh, the vicar pointed out was like a psalm, so it's like a prayer. Um, then, if we have time at the end, I'll, I'll take you to a couple places in the Old Testament where there's some really good language associated with prayers of David. And David's prayers are lengthy. Uh, there's a lot in them. And so it's striking that here comes Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, and he gives us the prayer to pray. And it's very simple in its structure in comparison to so many of the prayers of the Old Testament. But if we delve deeper, it, in, we, we find the richness in the Lord's Prayer. So thinking about the Lord's Prayer, if you look at page three of the handout, I did it in its structure. So this is called chiastic structure in, in the scriptures, and there's chiastic structures all over the place, and I've talked about this a little bit before. But the way a chiastic structure works is it kind of goes just like I have it in the handout, where you have the first, the first verse or the first line coincides with the last verse or the last line. And it kind of goes to a point. And in a chiastic structure, the point of the body of writing is the middle piece. So if you look at the way this is, the way we have it, you have the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer as the, the middle or the centerpiece of the chiastic structure. Now you may notice that it didn't have the for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory in Matthew's gospel. Um, that itself Let's see here. Is so, you know, it's, it's even hard to find in some of the smaller uh, pieces of the Greek New Testament. Yeah. It's somewhere because I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. And the, the neat thing about that is that is a doxological, a Jewish doxological uh, stanza or conclusion. And if we have time, we'll go to it. But First Chronicles 29, you can read that later. But that is one of David's prayers. If, or we'll, if we get, have time and we get to it, I'll take you to it. But First Chronicles 29 is David praying a doxological prayer. And it sounds, his prayer sounds almost identical to the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer. But when we think about this, you know, so our Father who art in heaven, so our Father signals relationship, right? That we have, to be able to pray this prayer signals that we have an endearing relationship with our Heavenly Father. He's our Father. And so that means that He has done something to establish our relationship with him. And we would say, of course, that it's a baptismal statement, right? 
to be able to say our Father is, is a statement of, of our cleansing and our new life residing in the Lord. And it is also, we don't say my Father, but we say our Father, which also then draws us into the Holy Community. We are not singular. We are grafted into the body of Christ and we share together and we pray together. And that is really important, isn't it? To know that we are not alone in this world as we journey, but we are connected with, with those others, those brothers and sisters in Christ. Then you have the first petition, hallowed be thy name. So holy is, is the Father's name, right? And in a way, that's a statement of, of the Son, Jesus, who honors, you know, if you think about John 17 and, and Jesus' high priestly prayer, that prayer is full of language where Jesus is saying things like, I honor your name, you know, I, uh, you know, I am in you, you are in me. And so everything that Jesus does makes the name of the Father holy. You know, he, he honors his Father. And so, hallowed be thy name. So when we pray, so if you think about it like this, when we say, hallowed be thy name, what we're saying is, Lord, you know, as the catechism says, your, your name in and of itself is holy, but we pray in this petition that it will be holy among us also. Well, don't think about that as something you're doing to make it holy so much as the life that we live in word, water, and Eucharist, right? Word, baptism, and Eucharist, the Lord's name is holy. Every time we listen to the scriptures and the gospel, the name is being made holy. So, you know, this, this first petition holds in it the notion that there is an intersection in our lives of Jesus coming to us and then we responding. So this now relationship with, with Jesus. And then thy kingdom come. How does the kingdom come? but by way of the work of the Holy Spirit through the gospel, right? So in a sense, what you can see is our Father who art in heaven, that's the Father. Hallowed be thy name leads us into thinking about Jesus. So John 17. And then thy kingdom come, the work of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, there's, when you think about thy kingdom coming, there's movement to that. And the word, and I'm, I've mentioned this before, but the word uh, energia in Greek is working, is kind of the word for working. And this word is used for the work of the Holy Spirit, energy, energia. So thy kingdom come, how does the kingdom come? It comes through the gospel, comes through the Eucharist, comes through the scriptures, uh, and the Holy Spirit works, works through the word. 
And so we find great comfort in that. Then thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the work of it all, right? That it's not our will to be done, but it's God's will. And that's a tough thing in prayer, isn't it? I mean, you know, I talked about this a little bit last week, but how often, you know, we approach situations and we'll know, we'll see what's going on and we'll be like, okay, we just need this to happen and that to happen and then everything's going to be great. Um, God's will is often different, sometimes different. Uh, And so uh, the Lord has his ways and his ways are not our ways, as the scriptures say. And so we... We pray thy will be done. And that is a statement of faith, isn't it? So now you see, you have the, you have the introduction, first and second petitions, third, you know, so Father, Son, Holy Spirit, then the third petition deals with faith. And that is not an easy thing. And I talked about that quite a bit last week. Then you have this fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. And Luther in his catechism states it simply that this deals with everything with life. So it's everything that pertains to God providing for us on this earth. But what's interesting is Luther has a comment, an early commentary on the Lord's Prayer and he even puts the fourth petition in a spiritual light. That it's you know, not just about the daily stuff. And I'll get, I'll get to that a little more later. And then the fifth petition, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So that gets to the comprehensive relationship that we have first with God but then our neighbor so this fifth petition encompasses in a way all of the whole of the ten commandments the concept of the whole of the ten commandments that you have that vertical relationship with our Lord and then you have the horizontal relationship with the people around you your neighbors So forgive us our trespasses. So there's the upward look. And then as we forgive those who trespass against us, and there's the horizontal look. So that petition is the whole of the spiritual life. And that's a spiritual petition, right? Because to seek forgiveness from our Lord is to find comfort for our souls But then to forgive our neighbor, that's also spiritual, isn't it? Because what happens if someone sins against us and then we don't forgive them? Well, then our hearts turn cold. Our souls begin to grow black and dark and we enter the shadows of evil. And if that is not dealt with, that can destroy one's soul. 
because we can become bitter and angry and we can even grow despondent, right? Like anger is usually kind of at the front, right? Anger and frustration. It's sort of like that negative energy of, you know, that reacts. But then if that's not dealt with, then that anger starts to settle in and then it becomes a deeper, darker, almost kind of negative despondence. And it can really weigh down the soul. So this petition, and that's a hard petition too, isn't it? That fifth petition. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And you know, you're always, it always causes you pause when you pray that and you're like, have I done that? Have I, have I forgiven? Right? It, it really kind of makes you stop and think. And then, and if you haven't forgiven, then it becomes something to lead us to confession, right? But then that leads us to the sixth petition and lead us not into temptation. For me, this is the hard one. That's the hard one for you. If God does not tempt, God does not tempt anyone. Right. So, yeah. I've never quite figured it out. Well, okay, so, you know, lead us not into temptation. Um, I, I'm going to get ahead of myself. So, all right, let's try to say this in, a, in an easy way. So, the verb, lead us not, um, is past tense and subjunctive. And so, past tense, generally in Greek, past tense, simple past tense doesn't mean like the way we would think of past tense, like it happened back then. Simple past tense in the Greek emphasizes not time, but the action. And then the subjunctive voice leaves a little uncertainty, like it may or may not happen. But it's what it is, is it's more like God brings, God allows us to experience things and to go through things. And so when we go through those things, God's not tempting us in that. He's trying to help lead us to grow, grow in wisdom, grow in faith. He means good if he allows us to go through things. But what this petition is getting at is, may we not may we not be darkened or go in the other direction when we experience things. So may we not turn our back on the Lord and, and retreat um, like scripture, like right? God tempts no one. Um, but we pray in this petition that he will protect us. Yeah, Holly. Thanks to me, I don't know who's read Pilgrim's Progress, but I'm in the middle of it. Oh yeah. I was a couple of them. And just all the this journey that Christian is taking, there's so many like symbols and metaphors for like the Christian life. 
and there's always this other path to take mm -hmm. to his detriment. And you know, occasionally he goes starts going down one and then somebody comes along and is like, Wait, don't go there. This is gonna end in your destruction. And he's like, Oh, thank you and he leads them to the you know, the more difficult path. But that's a good that's how I see that. That's actually really good. I like that a lot, that there's two paths. I mean, that's all over in the scriptures. I mean, Psalm 1, which we've looked at in here before, gives the two roads. There's the way of life, and then there's the way of death. And that's the truth, right? Like, on our journey, there are always two ways to go. And there is the way of life and there is the way of death. And may we not go the way of death. And so lead us not into temptation is lead us down the right road. Lead us down the right road. And then the seventh petition but deliver us from evil, or as the Greek says, from the evil one. Which, it's important to just make that distinction because sometimes, I don't know, I don't know how you all feel, but I think there is a tendency for people in general to think of evil as an inanimate, inanimate object that's just kind of hanging out over there and you know, just don't go touch it and you'll be all right. <laughs> but evil actually has a force and a movement and you know, you have the evil one, right? Uh, as, as Peter says, uh, be sober and vigilant for the devil goes about, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom to devour, resist him steadfast in the faith. And so, you know, how does one resist the devil uh, through the things of Jesus? And so there's the road of darkness and the road of light. So that's really good, yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say, there's a conjunction, but, you know, so it's connecting yeah. six and seven petition as in like the same thought. Exactly, that's a good point. I don't know if you heard her, but she said the but connects the two together. So it's not two separate, but it's one, it's one thought. Yes, Donna? Uh, when I pray the last two petitions, um, I, I try to say something in my own words after each petition. Yeah, yeah. And I usually say um, for the last two, enable us to do your will and keep us from doing wrong. And like the first petition, our first Yeah. Add some in between. That's good. That's a good meditative way to pray the Lord's Prayer. That's a great example. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, that is very good. And that's, you know, that is a good, what she suggested is, is a helpful thing for prayer, yes. I was just gonna ask if you could give the, 
the verse, the quote, the Peter thing that was really good. Oh, sure. Yeah, that is a really... Yeah, that is... I was thinking it's chapter 3. Did I... Alright, now where is that? Well, I know, but... but no, but that's, you know, I'm like, I got to be like, all right, I got to remember where that is. I think it's, oh, five, five, eight. Thank you. Yep, there it is. Yeah, thank you very much. First Peter five, verse eight. And, um, oh, yeah, and I even have it here on the handout under the dangers of our becoming cold. <laughs> I think I need more coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, and in fact, so you know, look at the section here, dangers of our becoming cold on the third page. First Peter 5.8, so you know, the Greek actually means be well balanced, so be sober minded and watch. Um, be well balanced. And to be well balanced is to stop and assess you know, there's, there's contemplation there. There's thought. There's kind of a stepping back and thinking about it. And then in Mark 14, 38, Jesus says to the, the three disciples, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. So there's all this going on in the scriptures that relates to this. And... Let's see, so what else can I say here? Um, the Greek, yeah, go ahead. Is there a relationship in this chiastic structure between, say, the, well, the first and the seventh, I think their relationship, but between like the second and the sixth and the third and the fifth and the thirty? What's the point of having this structure? Yeah, so the point of this structure is, so if you think about, the first petition and the seventh petition. So, hallowed be thy name. Yeah, exactly. But then, the, like the second and the sixth, thy kingdom. So, this would be like the two roads thing. Thy kingdom come, may the right road, may we find ourselves on the right road and not be led, not go on to the other road. Then, the third petition. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is to make holy everything, to sanctify everything. And the fifth petition is sanctifying everything, right? Forgive us as we forgive those, those around us. So, you know, thy will, or thy will be done, right? So the third petition, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that, yeah, so thy will be done would be that God sanctifies our lives and his creation and everyone is blessed, yeah. Does it correlate to temple worship and just like making things holy? Yeah, that's a good point. The structure that Penny's talking about, is there a temple worship connection between the structure of the, their liturgy? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that exactly but i mean there is just generally speaking right in in terms of temple worship is you know if you look at the old testament 
when the temple is in place and the people of God approach, then their lives in a comprehensive way are blessed. But then if they're led away from the temple or there is no temple, then they go through difficult times. And uh, yeah, that's a really good question. That'd be something worth investigating. Yeah. Yes. It seems like the first, second, and third kind of like the positive of ways of saying in six and seven. Because it's like, how would that age? That can become like, that's how like kind of possible like when they say with your kids. Don't say no all the time. Tell them what you want to do instead. Um, that's kind of like that idea of like, okay, keep the lights on, but keep turning them off. You know, and it seems like the other ones, like, how would that age? It's like, the delivers to people. Like, that's a negative kind of thinking about it. And you can just like, I will be done because it doesn't happen in third period or fifth. It's saying, here's an example of that. Basically, don't get yourself in trouble by doing this. It's almost like a real world application of it. Yeah. It's like, we can look holy and think about that, but it's like God is giving us a way to say, but this is how it actually needed to be in real life. Mm-hmm. It's hard for us to comprehend just the positive or upward version of it. That's right. No, that's exactly right. And. You know, like you pointed it out, okay, so you have our in the introduction, but then you have three petitions of thy. Then all of a sudden, you have the fourth petition is us. And then the fifth, sixth, and seventh is also all us. So it encompasses the thy. So it's, it's, you see the vertical relationship which this would be temple, this would be temple stuff, the vertical relationship of God and humanity. Thy, thy, us, us, thy, us. So, you know, what the prayer is doing is it's asking for this vertical relationship to actually affect itself in the lives of the community, the holy community. Yeah, Holly. And that's not Exactly. I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's my segue. Thank you. Um, okay, so yeah, go ahead real quick. Okay, is this a, a nit or not? But when we recite the Lord's Prayer, we pause, we say, Thy will be done, pause, on earth as it is in heaven. And it used to irritate, not me, but somebody else in our congregation. I'm like, I don't know. But then I heard somewhere. Um, a Lutheran commentary, but it, that each of the things, the first, second, and third is hallowed be thy name on earth as it is in heaven, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh-huh. We're abiding in Christ, we're seated at his right hand, that we are there, so it should, he brought it down on earth as it is in heaven. Y- Oh yeah. Like it, but I don't know if that's like a real thing. Well, that's like made that up. Well, no. Well, okay. I don't know about that either. But what I will say though is the um, on earth as it is in heaven is incarnational, yeah. right? I mean, it's thoroughly incarnational that the Son of God comes down from heaven to earth, and so you know that in and of itself is conceptually embedded within the prayer that God is not locked up in heaven and we're down here and we're scraping along hoping we make it out alive 
<laughs> you know, but the Lord actually comes and touches our lives and the lives of the people around us and the creation. And, you know, and it's true too, right? This petition, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's sort of like the paying it forward kind of concept, right? Like if I, if I come over and punch somebody in the nose, they may not punch me in the nose back, but they're probably going to go and punch somebody else in the nose. And pretty soon, everybody in the room got punched in the nose, right? Conversely, a word of peace, a word of mercy, a word of forgiveness and love will also then get passed. Sometimes, perhaps oftentimes, love given will also then be returned. And so you, this is how, like, when we look into the face of our neighbor in love, we find a blessing in return, as I've talked about before. And so in this prayer is also the notion that the Lord blesses creation through the church. And, you know, think about it this way. So Franz Pieper... The, the German Lutheran dogmatician for the Missouri Synod way back wrote Pieper's Dogmatics. And he made the statement that the reason that the earth continues to spin day in and day out is because of his church, the Lord's church that is on the planet. He keeps the, he keeps the planet going because the church is on the earth. Now, people on the outside might hear that, right? People that are not Christians may hear that and say, well, that's a very arrogant thing to say. But if you think about it in terms of the Lord's Prayer, it makes sense. Because God in, is incarnate and takes on flesh, the Son of God, and then He blesses, He dies for the life of the world, He establishes the church, and the church is the place where Christ comes and forgives, teaches, feeds, strengthens, teaches peace, love, hope, mercy, and also gives it. And so we leave the church and we're different. And we go out into the world and then all those holy attributes spill forth into the world through, through the Christians. And this, by the way, is why uh, the ancient term of the divine service is mass, you know, the holy mass, because this comes from the Latin for missa or mitta. And we get the word, so missa, we get the word mission from that. We also get the word dismissal from that. So the idea is, you come into the divine service or you come into the mass, Jesus pours all of this goodness out into his people and then you're sent out into the world to live. And then all these holy attributes get dispersed through the work of God in the lives of the saints. And so that's what Franz Pieper's talking about when he says that 
God keeps the world spinning because of his church that's on the world, in the world, because that's that concept. I mean, it's beautiful. So when you get, so this Lord's Prayer in Greek is stunning because the first word in Greek, the first word in a sentence in Greek is the word that's emphasized. So usually it's the most important word. So what's interesting in this prayer is that in the Greek, every petition except for one begins with the verb. The verbs first and every petition except for one. So in those petitions, the verbs are the most important. They are begging for the Lord's action. Then if we got even more technical, all of them except for one is an imperative. So all of them are past tense and imperatives. So as I said, past tense doesn't mean like it happened already back there, but it's emphasizing the point of God acting. But it's an imperative, exclamation mark. So there's a sense of urgency to every petition which would imply what? The church on earth is in need. We're not just, you know, sitting back on the beach, sipping a margarita, and, you know, everything's great all the time. This is a church saying, Lord, help us. We need you, and we need you now. And so that's what's happening in these petitions. The only one that's not an imperative, as I said, was the lead us not, which is subjunctive which I think some, in some way gets to what Carol's kind of wanting to talk about with, you know, God doesn't tempt. Uh, but then we get to the fourth petition. And here you have it, the middle of the chiastic structure. And what do you think is the first word of the, of the petition? It's not the verb. It's bread. Yes. It's the only petition that doesn't have the verb first. So the emphasis of this petition is bread, bread, need bread now. It's like, you know, it's like a toddler, you know, needing, the toddler says what they need very simply, right? Drink, right? Toy. Right? I mean, just like, boom, right to the point. So it's like we are God's children as he is our father. And we say very simply, bread, bread. Now, what's interesting, too, to this is the way this reads literally in Greek is give us today the bread for our coming essence. It is so beautiful. Oh my gosh. I'm, you know, I'm just, it, it is like, 
It is. It is like butter on your lips, you know? And so you have, so here's the word, epiousius. So epiousius means coming essence. Usia is the essence of who we are, the core of who we are, our souls. Epi means that something outside of us must come upon us. Bread for our coming essence. So when I read that, I think it's the Eucharist. And if you look at this then in a chiastic structure, all these petitions with these imperative verbs at the front are all begging for what's at the center, which is the bread from heaven. It makes sense biblically because you think about John 6. And I mean, that's worth a study sometime in an, on its own, which we'll do. You know, I always hesitate to give away all the good stuff all at once, but I mean, it's just so beautiful. How can you not? Um, but, you know, Jesus, when he has the bread of life discourse, you know, he starts off saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, you have no life in you. And he uses this uh, general word for eating, phageata. And then the Jews take issue with him, and they're like, how are we supposed to eat his, what's he talking about? How can we eat his body? That's ridiculous. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't clarify and say, no, silly. He, you know, this is what I mean. No, what he does is he doubles down and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the, the flesh of the Son of Man, you have no life in you. He changes the verb to the Greek word trogon. And that word for eating means like a squirrel crunching on a nut, noisily crunching on a nut. So what Jesus does in John 6 is he first talks about general eating. People question him. Then he doubles down and emphasizes the true eating of the flesh of the Son of Man. And so unless you do this, you have no life in you. So if you think about it like that, doesn't it make sense that this would be the center of the Lord's Prayer, that all these petitions are dealt with in the bread from heaven that Jesus gives for the life of the world. And so, yes, Donna. Does Jesus say that I am the bread of life in John 6? I am the bread of life. He says that it's the I think he does. Yeah, I think he does. Yep. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's a fabulous text because, yeah, Holly, go ahead. Okay, yeah, you know, because the, you know, the amazing thing is in that Bread of Life discourse, there are many, it, it ends with many of those who had been following Jesus say this is a hard saying, who can believe it? And then they quit following Jesus. Verse 48, thank you. Yeah, so Holly. Um, I, I think, like, as a kid, the Lord's Prayer was always so, I don't know, it's kind of like, 
didn't know how to meditate on until I was older. Yeah. And I, I guess I always thought the baby bread meant like church bread, you know? Oh yeah. And I didn't realize how personal it meant to your own life. Like you can't ask God for more than just the bread of life. You can ask him for, you know, your daily needs. I mean, it's in Luther's Catechism, you know, I don't know why I might have made that connection as a child, but just, it's okay to ask him for actual food. Yeah. Shelter and the things that you need to live this life. It is. So I thought that was, became more comforting to me. Yeah. As I get older. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you're saying, hold on one second. So you're saying like Luther's gloss on it is, is still very valuable. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like it just became later to me, you know? Yeah. I know I studied it as a kid. And yeah. And whatnot, but um, I guess it just didn't make a connection until I actually needed baby bread. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had my job, you know, I need more money and I yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. And so let me, I'm, I'm glad that you made that point though, because what I, what I never want to do is take away Luther's sense of what that says in the catechism, because, you know, generally speaking, it does cover everything. I mean, we do ask the Lord to provide for everything. And that is a great comfort because that's a source of our worries, right? A big source of our worries in this life are the things that pertain to this life. And, um, and I'll get to that too. Uh, I'd like to say something about Matthew 6 in this regard. Well, I want to highlight, you know, like so many stories in the Bible are, it's not like it's a bad thing for us to meditate or like want the actual things in life. Like how we saying, like, I actually need bread. I actually need something to sustain me. Jesus doesn't shame us for that. I, you know, his first miracle is making wine, you know? Yeah. Um, and then so many of them, you know, he feeds the masses, and it's like an unending um, you know, source of food. It's because he knows, hey, you know, these guys, they travel far. Like, how can they learn and study if their stomachs are empty? Exactly. It's comforting to know that he's not shaming you or thinking of the things in the world that you need. You have to look up, but he's also taking care of what's actually here. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, that is, all that is really important to remember. And I don't, I don't ever mean to take away from that when I think about this as the Eucharistic bread. Um, the thing with this word is it occurs so infrequently uh, in, in the Greek New Testament. And then it all of a sudden shows up in the Lord's Prayer here. And, you know, you think about this essence and the coming essence you know, the coming existence in heaven. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's one of these mysterious things that Jesus does where, you know, you, you hear it one way, but then it starts to broaden and you, and you start to see a comprehensive notion to it. Because like you said, it's very hard to, to nestle up to the spiritual gifts if we're starving, right? So we do ask God to provide for everything, and that is important. So don't, don't hear me saying, like in your own meditations, that you can't think of this fourth petition in the way that Luther says, because uh, God provides everything, yeah. I think the order of 
of the prayer emphasizes what Christ said to people that your Heavenly Father knows that you need clothes and don't worry about it because your Heavenly Father knows you need clothes and food and all that. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those things will be added to you. And it's following the first, second, and third, which is all heaven to earth and earth to, you know, back and forth. They're seeking the heavenly things. And then it gets to the fourth petition, which is like daily bread, which is the bread drawing near, you eat the bread, and then, then you go out. So it yeah. kind of says that. I know you need it. God knows. Well, that is, and that's what I was going to point out. So you, you kind of read into that. That was, no, no, that was good. Yeah, that was good. You, you did that because that's what I was going to do was I was going to talk about that, that, you know, after the Lord's prayer is given in Matthew chapter six, then at verse 25 and following is what Kathy was saying. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Boy, if that's not a hard text to walk through, I mean, truly, right? So, you know, you can kind of look at this in a couple of different ways. Uh, one would be that, and this is kind of my take, I think, all of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer are spiritual in nature. So I would think the fourth petition also would be spiritual in nature. Um, I'm inclined myself to think that this is primarily the Eucharistic bread because of the Greek structure. Um, and then what Jesus says at the end of the chapter after he gives the Lord's Prayer. That being said... I think it is very helpful to think about it the way Luther does in the catechism. And it is very comforting to be able to pray, Lord, take care of me and provide for me what I need. And, you know, when the Lord provides, then that does help calm our souls which will help us to be able to listen to him and his word and, right? You know, if we can sit and we can stop and we're not encumbered by all the things surrounding us, but we can actually be at peace and hear God's word, then much good comes that way.
So there's a lot to this, isn't there? Yeah. And, and really, like, I just ran through it in an hour, and we could honestly spend a day, an hour on each petition, you know, and just break that apart. But um, so thank you. It's, it's good to be with you today. Um, we, we now break until January 20th. And uh, let us pray and end with the benediction. Stir up our hearts, O Lord, to make ready the way of your only begotten Son, that by his coming we may be enabled to serve you with pure minds. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace.